0: Shalom, and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class.
1: Okay, so chapter 3, uh, verse 20. I'll do this one quickly, and then we'll assign a reader for the next verse. We're on 21. We're on 21 already? Okay, so let's read 20 to get some momentum, and then we'll assign for 21. V'shalachti et yadi, God is saying, and I will... Right, we, we talked about the different sh- Sholeh. I will send, extend. We played around with a lot of translations. My hand, the heketi at Bitzrayim. I will smite Egypt. Right, not the Egyptians, but Egypt. The Niflotai with all of my wonders. Asher esed bekerbo that I will do. We played a lot with this word in in its in its midst, among them, near them, in their innards. The and afterwards Yishalach etchem. Afterwards, he will send you. And, of course, it was this verse that was um, uh, part of Rashi's proof text on the previous verse saying that the Lobiyata Chazakah does not necessarily mean unless, unless I give my strong hand, but lest you think that it's going to be uh, Pharaoh's strength that's going to keep you in Egypt, I'm the one toying with Pharaoh. And once I bring down the big guns, he's going to let you out. Okay, um, let's note, let's, we, we could, but let's not linger on that verse any longer because I think we spent a lot of time on it last week. And let's go to verse
2: uh, 21. Uh, Joel, do you want to read? Um, and I will give my. Um, mercy uh chen whatever uh chen is um this uh, nation in my eyes um egypt and it will be um that they will leave and they will not leave empty handed
1: good good let's break it down a little bit it's a really wonderful hebrew phrase that we're introduced to that exists in the modern hebrew vernacular uh the, here, the verb is natati, to place. In modern Hebrew, it's usually to find. To find grace in your eyes is to be uh, received as acceptable, right? Like something like uh, you're making plans on beinecha. If this finds grace in your eyes, meaning if that timing is okay with you, right? It's used in some very, very mundane exchanges... Or when describing how you feel about someone, she, she's very pleasing to me, right? I really, I really care for her, right? Or I, I really like her. So here we're having the same concept, but it's a different verb. I, God, will place, give. Once again, we have a verb of noting. We don't, don't know exactly how to translate it, although even Uncleish translates it in the verb latate, to give. I will place the grace of this people and we'll we'll break it down, but I'm just trying to do a, a quick job of translating with you, uh, the grace, the beauty of this people in the eyes of Egypt. I will place the grace of this people in the eyes of Egypt, and it will be, and, and I think that we have to tr- translate it as, and therefore, and since I will place the grace, the kindness of this people in the eyes of Egypt, that ki telechun when you go... You will not go empty handed, as Joel translated. So, what do we think that phrase means? Um, that I, God, will place the grace. I, I don't know a better way of translating chain. I, like I like the way Joel translated it. How do you translate chain? Chain, right? Um, sweetness, uh, favor, uh, grace is probably the best one. I will place the grace of this people, and this people is the Israelite people, in the eyes of the Egypt. What's the pshat, as they say in the Shiva? What's the pshat of that? What does that mean? They Anyone. they they will not
2: they will not um, hold any grudges against you. When you go, you will, you will go. That they'll 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 see you as as good people, and they'll they'll give you stuff.
1: Okay, so uh, not lest, hold you responsible for what happened, lest you Moses fear that the Egyptians whom you've just been smiting will 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 send you off um, with fury you are I'm gonna reverse the the natural instinct that they might have to you and actually they're gonna see you with chain. They're gonna see you with chain colored glasses, right? Um, l- l- before um, uh, we we say more about what it means in context in the story, what is the what is the phrase evoke for people? What is the phrase evoke for people for someone to say, I will have them their eyes look at you with chain. What does what does that even mean? And then and then we'll continue to discuss what it means in context. Barry, and then Rick.
3: Well, uh, uh, God is the actor, so God is going to cause this uh, chen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um So that, that, he's, that's the giving. God's the ca- causing this, and what is the chain? Uh, they're going to see our people in the. We we are the favored of God. God's doing this for us. We so we are being raised up to God's level in their eyes. That's the grace.
1: So to be to be raised to be raised positively in, not, in, not, in someone's not, eyes. Not positive. Um, we, we we
3: they see us as in the at the level. We God is raising us up to God's level so that's that's the grace it's not favor it's it's
1: like level of closeness to uh the holy uh-huh, uh-huh. okay, Rick and then Norm and then renee
4: um when I see the a name um I remember um it's not it's not exactly true what what you see with your eyes um the the example is in my head is um the israelites um uh, uh s- thought that the Canaanites saw them as grasshoppers in mm. in, in in you know a you know um they weren't really yes yes like like grasshoppers so um the direct the direction of of where you're looking and what you're looking at and and all that um it it didn't say you, you will be um, uh, a pleasant people or whatever. Um, it's it just in their eyes you will be. That's all I wanted to say.
1: That's a really interesting uh, comment, right? G- God isn't saying that you deserve this chayn, but they're going to experience you as chen. If you look at uh Uncleus's translation, he translates the venatati as attain so he keeps the verb to give, but he renders chayn as rachamim, Right? Now, Rachamim is a little bit easier to understand. Rachamim comes from Rechem, womb. You know, it's, it's maternal empathy, unconditional care and love, right? And even in the Simshalom Bracha, we have them as synonyms Simshalom, Olam, Tova, Bracha, Chain, Bechesed, Verachamim, as if they're a trio, right? That that we that we ask God to bring peace in the, in the world and, and and exemplified by Chain and Chesed and Rachamim. So, if we read it the way Uncleus does, which we don't have to, this is this is not necessarily an elevation of their status. It's they're going to look kindly upon you. They're going to have empathy. You might think that they would expect you to have empathy on them because you're getting out, they're staying here, and they've just been destroyed by these plagues. Reverse Ipcha ben They're going to have mercy on you. They're going to say, "Oh my God, I can't believe how we've mistreated you," and and send you out with 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 a, with a an overflowing heart. Uh, that's uncle Liz's read norm rachel
5: um, i'm inclined to agree with uncle Liz. i think that the implication is that god is going to open the maybe not pharaohs but the regular egyptians um, eyes hearts and minds to the plight of this oppressed people that's about to leave and that they are going to be have an empathy for us that they perhaps previously have not had or have ignored or have suppressed and they're going to want to give us gifts to go away, because they will understand that, you know, we what, what we have gone through, now that they've had this very jarring series of experiences, which they haven't yet had at the time of the sentence, yeah. but which they're going to have, and that will change their views and attitudes, and um, and that will be it
1: yeah without getting too close to what we could say indiana dayoma the issues of the day this image of the vanquished sending off the departees with a parting gift right um that normally doesn't happen <laughs> in 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 conflict uh and in, in in major upheaval uh no matter where you look so this is you you, you could you could step outside the Torah a little bit right we always read the story on so many levels, like the, the actual story as it happened, as the Torah telling us, or the story as it's being presented to us as sacred writ. Right? If you jump out of the Torah, it, it can almost read as a, you know, as a as a Israelite fantasy that upon leaving, that the that the Egyptians, you know, stood and and you know and and, and created a corridor and a and se- and they're going to send you out. And they're going to throw bouquets of flowers at you. And you're and we haven't even gotten to the, and we're, and we're going, to, and they're going to, and you're not going to leave empty handed. So it's going to be not only a conceptual grace, but a material grace. Now, it's Interestingly, good. go ahead.
5: Yeah. It's also very different from a Marxist view of revolution, because this is a sort of a res- revolution where the revolters are going to depart, not take over the government and replace yeah. the ruling powers. Yeah. And that's also, I think, pretty unique.
1: Yeah. Uh, in a moment, we'll look at some tra- uh, some translations. Uh, let's go, Renee and Joanna, and then I want to uh, bring up what someone wrote. I think Diane wrote about Arya Kaplan, and we'll look at some other translations. Renee,
6: it's pretty. I was going to say pretty similar to what has already been said that that Hashem will take pity on the people and and make the other groups of people more empathic towards them.
1: Yeah, yeah, f- f- kind of a forced empathy, and going back to what Rick said, not necessarily an earned empathy, just just changing the lens on the camera. Not not the object, but the lens. Joanna?
0: So we see this come true in um, Exodus 11, after the ninth plague. The text tells us in 11.3, And and um, God made the Egyptians look favorably, uh, you know, towards, um, towards the Israelites. Um, but... Where I would want that to be is after the 10th plague. And it's only after the ninth. And I, it, it creates a theological conundrum, I think.
1: Say more about that.
0: Because if that was the case, if they now look favorably upon the Israelites, why was there not only a 10th plague, but such a horrific 10th plague?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when we get to that part of the story, you know, I don't know, 24 months from now, we can <laughs> we can linger on that more. Right. Because... There, there are several places in the story where it seems that what God wants to achieve in terms of chastening the Egyptians and and punishing them and even showing God's might. Remember, we talked last week that some read the the whole ten plagues as. Um, as God do, going, doing something not for the benefit, not, the benefit not, not to impact the Egyptians, but for the benefit of God's own relationship with the Israelites so that they will have a certain amount of awe for God on the way out. There were several places along the way where we could have said, like, game over. And and this particular prophecy, you're right, comes true after the ninth plague. And we'll have to look inside the story with still an ability to be um, to be properly challenged by it. But what happens in between uh, plague 9 and Plague 10, even if the people were disposed to allow the Jews to go, the Israelites to go happily, what happens in the palace that forces, as it were, God's hand for the 10th plague? But it's it's very, very hard. Stuff. This whole thing we've been discussing, well, we're going to be in hard theology for a long time because it's going to take us a long time to go through the plagues. We're going to read them slowly. And each one of them is going to be kind of a brutal thing to um, to read through. Uh, Elon and then Rick, and then let's look at some translations.
7: Yeah, the the fact that it only comes true for a brief period of time is is troubling. And but it it goes back to what I suggested last week that perhaps this is not saying it, it's it's a prediction as opposed to a statement. No different because if I say, okay, they're going, you're going to look, are they going to the Israelites are going to be regarded favorably by the Egyptians. The implication is that that will be going forward. It would be like me saying, "I think GameStop is going to trade at six hundred. Great, that's fine. Except it then subsequently trades to fifty. So, what was the point of your prediction being correct? It's it it, it to me it, it 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 reinforces the fact that it is a prediction, not a statement of fact.
1: Good. Uh, and just to ask Chris that, no formal investment uh, um, uh, tips were, were, were given in the last statement. That was a totally theoretical uh, statement by Elon.
4: Uh, Rick, um, just uh, because Joanna brought it up, um, that that verse eleven three there, I find it. Uh, there's more ene. Uh, there's ene avde faro, and then ene haam. Um, so there's that, and then also I noticed there. Um, it's uh, every, um, come on, um, Let in, in verse two, let every man ask his fellow and every woman her fellow for the silver and the gold. Back in our verse, it's just every woman. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up because there's a difference there. Yes.
1: And the, and the Midrash plays that up oh, louder, okay. louder, louder there than here. Okay. Uh, yeah, good. Um, okay. Um, Diane Larry.
8: I just want to comment that um, Heskuni has a very interesting comment. Um, and the end of it is, is particularly interesting. of um, this, this is about, about giving gifts or going away, um, um, de- departing. He says, um, I'll just read the translation. Another example of a similar construction is found in the legislation commanding the owner of a Jewish slave at the end of his term of service to grant him a parting gift some livestock, some grain, and some grapes or wine, and he references Dvarim chapter 15, verse 14. So this would seem to be a uh, set of precedent.
1: What verse is his community saying that? I don't see it. Oh, there, I see. Got it, got it, got it. On Lotel Churekam. Right. Hmm.
4: That,
1: that, that, the, that the freed one leaves with a pension, as it were.
8: Right. right. We were talking earlier about, and you said it got Cut a little too close to today, but not so much today. But you think about, for example, the Civil War, and it would have been in the American Civil War. It might have been possible, maybe not sociologically or psych- psychologically, but to conceive of a healing moment, which in fact one may argue the Reconstruction was an attempt to do in some in some crass way, but then didn't happen.
1: And if you think, if you really want to go modern, well, there, there there is a a, a very in some ways compelling modern American movement or sub-movement that is gaining a lot of momentum these days that loves to quote this verse, right? The whole notion of reparations, right? The notion okay. of that that the that the freed slaves, our American freed slaves, left they come They left empty handed. And then, you know, I don't want to go into a long on it here, but you know, all all sorts of societal um systems that reinforced their empty handedness such that they were always and, and still are in some ways working uphill, and that they they didn't have the the, the southern plantation owners did not look favorably upon them when they were um, when they were uh, freed. They didn't have, they didn't have God operating on their behalf in that regard, right? So th- you see this verse and the verse that Joanna t- brought us to later used all the time. Um, uh, it, what's that that powerful article that Tana nehisi Coates wrote, the case for reparations? I don't know about six seven years ago. Um, that definitely lingers on this material. Right, as this being a biblical precedent for uh, not that that the that the freeing of the slaves is not suffi is it's a necessary but not sufficient way to treat those whom you have been mistreating. That's part one. Part two, let them go with what they've earned or a portion of what they've earned with some some sort of some sort of dignity or ability to regain dignity. And
8: just to go backwards for a second, like I did last week putting this in the context of this is God speaking to Moses to tell him what to tell the, uh, the elders in the context of the promise to Abraham. And so he's, so in the subtext, at least my midrash, Moses says, yeah, but you also promised Abraham that they would go out with great wealth. And God is saying, yeah, and you won't go out empty handed in this verse. And then the next verse is the completion of that to make sure that 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 Moshe and the elders know, yeah, this is this will be the fulfillment of the promise that i've that I've based this entire um uh, this entire treatise on
1: great right we and we are in the penultimate verse of this long soliloquy by God, and Moshe's going to respond in a bit, and it's and within this ending of that soliloquy, there's part a and part b, part a is this general prediction that they're going to look favorably upon you and you're not going to end empty handed part b which we'll read in a second is specifically what that's going to look like i want to read to you everett fox on verse 21 um i usually love his translation i i feel like he i feel like he loses something a little bit um and i will give this people favor in the eyes of egypt it sounds a little par of to me um i don't i also don't know if i love the um, R.A. Kaplan version. I want to hear the whole sentence of status. I feel like, it's, I feel it's, like a, it's a thicker soup than that. I will give this people favor in the eyes of Egypt. It will be that when you go, that part is easy to translate. You shall not go out empty-handed. Um, let's hear some other translations. Read um, oh. JPS. So JPS is, and I will dispose the Egyptians favorably towards this people. That word dispose. So it doesn't use the word Natan. It's basically focusing on the Egyptians experience of you, not what God's going to do so that when you go, so it adds in that. Therefore that we discussed before that they're connected, you shall not go away empty handed. Any other translations that people have? Uh, Diane, Larry, and then Renee. So this is R. A. Kaplan. I will give the people
9: status among the Egyptians. And when you all finally leave, you will not go empty handed.
1: Give the people status. Like I, in some ways it's Arya Kaplan's agrees uh translation is, is in is in your category, Barry, right? This is like a, a lifting up of, of 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 the people's status as opposed to just them looking kindly upon them. So it's 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 a it's an interesting choice, I've got to say. All are all of Arya Kaplan's uh translations are interesting. That's particular um, one. Do you have Alter there too?
9: Um Yeah. Yeah.
8: Hold on. <laughs> Um, and I will grant this people this people favor in the eyes of Egypt, and so when you go, you will not go empty-handed.
1: So that's very similar to Everfox and, um, and JPS. Renee, sorry. Sapphirstine
6: Bar- Saperstein says, "I will, I shall grant this people favor in the eyes of Egypt, so that it will happen that when you go, you will not go empty-handed." Uh-huh. Also, when you were reading. Um, you, Everett Fox, I don't know if you noticed, the footnote was kind of similar to what Larry was talking about with the war, that 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 he res- responds that the despoiling of the Egyptians is reminiscent of obtaining booty in war. Yeah. Did you see that footnote? And yeah, at yeah. the same time, there's a legal background to it, furnishing the, of a freed slave with provisions.
1: Yes. Yeah.
6: And the follow up to despoiling, intended or not, is God's is God's command that in Israel's future observance of religious festivals in the promised land that no one would be seen in my presence empty-handed.
1: Right. And to break that down a bit, whatever Fox is doing in English is playing with the phrase um, reikam, yadayim reikam, their hands empty-handed. So what the Israelites are blessed with thanks to God's beneficence on the way out of Egypt is what everyone who will ever be in God's presence in the temple be blessed with. No one Comes into the temple rekom, in both directions, you can't come in Raycom. you 're not permitted to come without bringing a gift, and you't don't, you don't leave with a party you don't leave without a parting gift either that you you, you come offering something and you leave with something to the party bag yeah Barry
3: so just a further comment on, on status and grace, um, these are idol worshipers. Yes. And uh, in Egypt, and uh, we now are, are seeing now uh, we're in the hand of of this awesome power, uh, this hand that has brought all this stuff to Egypt. So uh, th- they will freely be give, giving us gifts, uh, uh, so that we will help them. <laughs> it, it, it's it's like they're 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 pray, praying to us as representatives of this power. Yeah. It's more than grace and more than status. I mean, they they are freely
1: giving this stuff to us so that they will gain grace. Well, except that they're not, they're not freely. It's very clear that God is saying, "I'm I'm going to force their hand. I'm I'm going to make it so their their experience of it might be free, but that goes into yeah. the whole question you know, of what is what what is free will when God is is controlling everything." But yes, well, that, yes. Um, I want to just. Uh, Linger for a second on the word reikam. It's an interesting word. the The adjective is reik, reish yud kuf, empty. And no one is really a hundred percent clear as to what the declension of this word is here. Because reikam, it's not it's not a plural. Like the plural of some of many things empty would be rekim. Reikam is like their emptiness, like a, a reik shelahem. But that doesn't work either. It's a phrase that just that it's almost like a, a word that appears and we know what it means, but we're not sure why it means that. And I just want to point it out because we usually spend a, you know, pay very close attention to the, to the conjugation of verbs, which we're going to do in a second and the declension of nouns and adjectives. And I'm not sure exactly how to break down Raycom, even though we know, we know exactly what it means. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense in a, in a standard, uh, in a standard declension. Um, okay. So Joel, you were on for that verse. Um, I think we've, we've, uh, we've played around with that verse sufficiently. Why don't you read the next verse, and that's the one uh, that Rashi can have a long comment on.
2: And isha a migarat from the kesef from zahav usmalot vesamtam al church, a wood and a wood and Okay. and each woman will request or borrow from her neighbor and from the the gear the the stranger or the
1: it's a it's a really interesting uh, way of thinking about it here it's probably and their words are related lagur, the 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 one who dwells in the, the one who dwe- the, the the dweller in her house um
2: vessels of silver and vessels of gold, and, um, and clothes, and they will. You will. And you will put them on their, on your sons and daughters, and you will,
1: like, exploit, um, Egypt. Good. I, so the way, uh, Joel rendered that last verb is, is the, is the standard and, and most acceptable way of, of translating that? And in modern Hebrew, "l'natzel" means to explo- exploit, and just like in English, in both a positive and negative direction. Right? You can exploit an opportunity to, as to sale, he's "damnut," and you can also exploit someone negatively. Right? Um, so, a lot of cool things in this verse. Um, let's let's go with what, what are people's reaction to the first phrase of. Each woman, b'shala isha, the each is implied, will request of her neighbor and the one female, garat, the female one who lives in her home. What, what, do, you, what do you make of that, of the, what those words are, are denoting? Anyone? Joel, Rick, I see your hand up, Rick.
4: Hi. Um, so again, the men aren't mentioned until later. It's just the women asking. And it's not every woman should ask her master <laughs> they're slaves, right? So the word master owner, um, isn't there, uh, a neighbor. It could be just a regular Egyptian worker who lives in the mud hut next door. And they both work in, in the mud fields and all that. Um, which I never, I never thought of before. Why would you ask an Egyptian neighbor who wasn't a slave owner? Um, and then, I, I don't even know what to make of the uh, whoever lives in your house. That's kind of weird all by itself. Uh, one more. Then um, it could have said, Al u- u- b'no you know, it could have, they could have been together, but it was in all the sons and then all the daughters. So I um, maybe there's a different purpose for the son's gifts as to the, the uh, girl's gifts, the daughter's, um, you know, It it itemized them when it didn't have to. I just thought I'd bring that up.
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, with great, great respect and reverence to try, it's sort of a banana's image, right? That it's one thing that they're going to leave not empty-handed, but where are they going to get this good stuff from? From the people who live in their neighborhood? And who is the Egyptian woman living in their home? Do we have to envision here that the Israelite slaves had Egyptian maids, right? So... So first of all, it's, it's bananas to imagine the um, the Israelites who, according to the Midrash, not the pshat, kept their identity in Egypt by keeping their Jewish names and keeping their Jewish customs, leaving Egypt in Egyptian clothing, right? Um, and it's bananas to imagine that the way that God is going to achieve this righteous, non-empty-handedness is not by storming the palace, not with pitchforks to the palace, but by taking advantage Here's the Nitzaltem taking advantage of, you know, the ones who live in the same kind of impoverished places that they do and who's living in their home. So it's a, so the, the, the previous is the generic concept, right? The specifics are, 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 are weird, right? Very strange. Um, I see a lot of hands up. So uh, Joanna, Norm, Rebecca, and then we'll go, we'll go from there.
0: Two comments. One is the, the starting verb I find very, unusual also because it implies like a couple of things one if if we translate it as ask there you know you're asking and maybe maybe the egyptian will say no like it it doesn't seem to suggest that you're definitely going to get it and especially if you consider the other meaning of the word which is to borrow like we're just borrowing this and we're gonna return it at some point yeah.
1: Um pause one uh, second there, Joanna, because it, yes. it's relevant to the psalm we did today, right? shalom <inaudible> the verse, the, the beginning, uh, the the middle of Psalm one twenty two. Are we asking for the peace of Jerusalem? Are we are we borrowing it and we, we owe it back? Are we requesting it? Some people actually translate that as a synonym for prayer, praying for, right? And you, you smush all of that into this and we don't we don't know the feeling of what God is predicting here. Go ahead.
0: Um, and the the other question I have, um, and I was just looking in a couple of places, and I don't see anyone who takes it this way, but, um, you know, we're sort of used to English syntax, which tells us that when there's a pronoun, we refer back to the last name noun, and that's what the pronoun refers to. But often in biblical text, pronouns are very ambiguous. They don't work that way so i'm wondering when we read um Beta, if it could be like couldn't it be understood the other way around because we were slaves we're, were israelite women slaves in egyptian homes and that would make more sense i think than thinking that like egyptian women lived with
1: i see so each woman will borrow take ask from her neighbor and from the one in whose home they worked, served? Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I never thought of that possibility. Um, interestingly, it's Chaim Chumash on the, on the uh, um the JPS translates Vishalah Isha Mishchainta as each woman shall borrow from her neighbor. It's just a strange choice for an English word because borrow oh. suggests it's going to be repaid. And then the commentary on it, not the Drash commentary, the Pshat commentary on that is Hebrew, Shalah which here means ask for. Early Jewish interpretations looked upon these spoils as well-deserved compensation to the Israelites for their centuries of unpaid forced labor, which we discussed before. But it's an interesting choice to translate it as borrow. Uh, Norm was next? I forgot already. I think, yes, I am. Norma um, yeah. Uh, the
5: uh, Rosenbaum and Zilberman translation feels that this phrase is very ambiguous um, and they suggest that it might mean an Egyptian woman who is attending an Israelite house or an Israelite woman who is uh, residing in the house of an Egyptian woman. Ah, go Joanna. <inaudible> the better is The better one. But yeah. I have a different take on it also because my mother grew up at least until she was a teenager in Austria and after the Anschluss and after Kristallnacht, even at that point, her family, that is my grandparents' household, um, had non-Jewish women who were working for them as a maid and cook. Um, and so I think it is not inconceivable that some Israelite households may well have had Egyptians who were in that household uh, working on occasion. Mm-hmm. Moreover, um when I first read the verse, I thought it meant you go to the householder next door, but if the householder isn't there and there's just somebody who's working there, Jewish or not Jewish, or who is living there, that you would go to that person, and that person might give you gifts, even if they don't really belong to her, might mm-hmm. give you gifts from the household. Sure. And so it might be a you know somebody sojourning there, some temporary resident, presumably an Egyptian and not an Israelite, mm-hmm. that would give you the gift. And that that was the reason for the additional phrase. Not only the householder's wife, but also some other person who happened to be there, whether they're there as a servant, or as a guest, or a tenant.
1: Mm-hmm. Good. Thank you, Norm. Uh, Rebecca?
10: Um, so, my understanding of Gerak is exactly what Norman said right now, which was that it's somebody living with the neighbor. So... Um, but I, I know you asked to look at the first part of the sentence. But I think there's could be another interpretation for the last part, which might illuminate it differently. And that is when I, I look at the word mitzaltem, and I know that the, the typical um, translation of that would be um, to to use, abuse, to take an opportunity. But if you look at the root tzelah. Uh, and you try to interpret it as if, uh, this is how you will save the Egyptian people, then this takes a completely different color, which is that you're, the Egyptians, um, you know, whatever you, how you translate the word uh, were charmed or took favor, and uh, will give you all this gold and and so on so that you can, um, in some way, Redeem them from them being your enslavers. So it's sort of a different, uh, but, um, and I don't know if the root of Hatzalah is directly related to mitzah, you know, but it's sort of, uh, it's similar. So, you know,
1: that was <laughs> hey, It's, it's actually a beautiful midrash, right? To say that, um, the way the Egyptians are gonna elevate above the, the way they've treated you is by paying you what you're due um and then reading that as Hatzalah. The long Rashi, which at this point we will start with, there's no way we'll finish today, is Rashi's extended discursus on why that Midrash is grammatically untenable. But that doesn't that doesn't mean we can't make the Midrash, right? It, there's enough of an evocativeness of, of an avocat, and a alliterative avocativeness between Natsal and Le'Hatzil. And for those who are not fully aware those, verbs, nun lamid means to 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 despoil, to exploit, to uh Ever Fox translates it here as strip and hatsala, with a hay in the beginning of that root um is to save, to rescue, right? A matzil is a lifeguard. So there's enough there that 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 that, that sermon can be written. Um even if Rashi says no, no, if you focus on the vowel under the nun, which we're about to focus on, the chirik proves that it can't be Natsal, uh, Hatzal has to be nitzal. I, I still love the direction that you go in there because there does seem to be something going on in this in the set of verses where where where, most, where God is somehow simultaneously showing how God's going to redeem the Israelites and and also and 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 then punish redeem the Egyptians simultaneously. Right? They're going to be punished but they're going to do right at the very, 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 very end. So it's it's a very evocative way of thinking about it. Uh, I don't remember who's next. Uh, Tova, we haven't heard from you today. Go ahead. I'm
9: going to be taking a a somewhat different slant here because part of the thing that I'm reacting to is the fact that the first mention is that the women will be doing this as opposed Mm -hmm. to later when we have the men and the women. And one of the things that occurs to me is that in many societies, and it was certainly true to some extent in, in Egypt, women are less implicated and caught up in authority structure. Uh, they are not the ones that are seen as enforcing status necessarily or the ones that are uh, 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 enforcing authority one over the other. So it's almost as if the first break, the first connection is going to be uh, one of person to person, of acknowledging personhood. And so the uh, Egyptian women and the Hebrew women will be able to make this exchange, make this connection. Whereas later when we introduce the men, it is that then the authority structure itself has broken down and acknowledged that uh, a change has occurred, that something has been overturned. And we have both the men and the women.
1: I love that. Toba that's such a beautiful comment. Thank you for that. Um, Okay, uh, Leonard or Rebecca, I don't know which was which one has hands up.
7: Hi, um, I was just uh, wanted to comment. You were mentioning that mem on reikam earlier, so I did a little research over here. Okay. And it turns out it turns out that uh, there's a few words in Hebrew where the mem is added to the end of the word. In addition to reikam, we also have chinam hmm. and yomam. And uh, apparently that's a very common feature in Akkadian, and there's different theories about why that was there. But it, it wouldn't be surprising if we just borrowed that uh, form format from somebody else. Uh, Ibn Ezra also mentions that the mem is superfluous in that verse or in that word in that verse.
1: Great, thank you for that, Leonard. Yeah, the 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 yomam the, the is very um, um, familiar, right? Yomam valayla in the phrase yomam valayla. Yomam just means yom, but there's there's an extra mem there. So similarly here, rake seems to be – it almost seems to be an adverb, not an adjective, because it's not not declined. It's almost like empty-handedly, right, that they they will not leave in an empty-handed kind of a way. It's an adverb, not an adjective, so that the word would have been sufficient as rake – and that the mem is added for perhaps because of this, uh, the morphology of, of, of that word in its connection to Akkadian. Thank you for that. Um, Diane, Larry, and then Barry, and then we'll look at the Rashi, when we start it.
8: So I'll try to be brief on a couple of things, a little bit of linguistic anthropology and in, in African societies where we lived, um, when you when someone asked for something, it, it, it was to ask for a gift, alone loan was a gift, so there was no you should and we're, when we first arrived in 1975 that was the first piece of advice was if someone asked to borrow something they're asking that you give it to them as a gift do not expect you will ever get it back
1: uh-huh
8: so, um and,
1: and we I, do, we do that in some very common low stake conversations in english like uh you know knock on the do- knock on your neighbor's door hi can i borrow a few eggs Right, you're not gonna re- you're not gonna return them. You're, you're It's a nice way of saying either I, I'm asking you for them, I'm gonna use borrow, or I'm we, we constantly borrow back and forth from each other, and over time it'll even out. But we we do that even in English. I keep going.
8: Interesting that you say that. I'm gonna quickly just simply I I agree with the line of thought of Norman and and uh, Carol and others, except even more to the point that and I don't see any commentary, that it simply seems to me that um, the sojourner, Gerha, is clearly referring to the sojourner in the neighbor's slash Egyptian's home. So it means take it from the Egyptians and from anybody else who's living there. Uh-huh. Just like when, oh,
1: we, okay.
8: just like when we left Egypt, we left with the others who came with us. Uh-huh. But this purpose, you should consider them to be exactly part of that society which is oppressing you and therefore owes you something. That seems to me to be the peshat clear reading of it. I don't understand why nobody else sees it that way.
1: The neighbor and whoever's living in the neighbor's house, not whoever's living in the, in the, in the Isha's house.
8: Well, or to put it more figuratively, it to, to, to not read it so literally, you should, you should, you should get these gifts from the Egyptians and all the people living in this country and who are part of the society, the that, that part of society, including the Soviet Union. But I do want to, I'm not going to read it because it's long. There's a very long, interesting altar commentary. And again, anybody who wants, I know Joanna will want, I will try to scan it and send it to you. Uh, but two things. One is, he says, This verse reflects a frequent social phenomenon also registered in the rabbinic literature of late antiquity, in which women constitute the porous boundary between adjacent ethnic communities. Bowers of of the proverbial cup of sugar. Mm. Sharers of gossip in women's lore. Um, And then I'm going to skip the middle, which is also very interesting. But now he takes this from the point of view in biblical scholarship and altar and my view. Why was this written this way? And it was written because the denizens of the simple farms and crudely crude towns of Judah would have known about imperial Egypt's fabulous luxuries, its exquisite jewelry, and the affluent among them would have enjoyed imported Egyptian linens and papyrus. It's easy to imagine how this tale of despoiling or stripping bare Egypt would have given pleasure to its early Early audiences. In each of the three sister wife stories in Genesis, the Adumbrate, the Exodus narrative, the patriarch and his wife depart loaded with gifts. And that's obviously thinking about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca. The presence of that motif suggests that the despoiling of Egypt was an essential part of the story of liberation from bondage in the early national traditions.
9: I just found that fascinating.
1: Mm. So much there. So much there. Thank you, Larry. Diane?
9: So I want to go in a completely different direction, which is to say that God is setting Moses up here um, and not in a good way. Uh, In the next verse, Moses says, you know, they're never going to believe me. And it seems to me that God has spun a story here that is quite unbelievable, that the people are going to ask their neighbors for their fabulous wealth and the people are just going to give it over why would anybody believe that?
1: Right, because as we said about half an hour ago, it usually does not happen this way, right? Which makes it more of a more of a grand narrative. Um, Barry, is your stand, hand still up, Barry? And then I want to start the Rashi.
3: Uh, two uh, short comments. Um, so uh, our people were bigamous before coming to uh, Egypt. I would assume that bigamy was common in Egypt. So um, other women in the house may be other wives in, in the house. Uh, other comment is um, the word uh, 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 venitsa tem. Uh, my translation is divest. Uh, divest is like a reverse of invest. And uh, so the, the wealth in Egypt, is going to be reverse invested into god's hand uh, which ultimately of course is we are
1: using in the building of the mishka great just ch- change the flow of where the stuff goes good uh norm i, I can't i can't not call on people with their hands but i want to read the rashi norm
5: thank you um i looked at several commentators who talk about the ambiguity between borrowing and giving and what was understood by the taker and what was understood by the giver but Sforno takes the position that it really was a borrowing, that they were borrowing it and owed it back, but that later, when the Egyptians chased after the Israelites that were leaving, that converted to war, and that meant that the things that they had in their possession became spoils of war, and it was therefore legitimate for them to keep them. It's just, I found it interesting that he takes a very different approach to it. It was a legitimate borrowing, and then converted to spoils of war. I'm not seen the proxy. Okay. Um
0: I was <coughs> focusing on the root uh, mish, mish
5: mishchenta. Mishchenta,
0: mishchenta, and wondering why that was used referring to the homes of the neighbors rather than bite.
1: Well, no, it's the, the shchenta. There is the is the word for neighbor. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So. so Each woman will ask of her neighbor, not from the home of her neighbor, and from the one who lives in her home, but we've discussed that we don't know which, which her is the her home. But there, the noun there is sheina, neighbor, sheina shala, her neighbor. Yeah. And, and sure, we could play around with why shin kuf no, known as used in shchina and mishkan, and it's also the word for neighbor, right? So, so sometimes cigars are cigars, and sometimes they're not. Um, Norm, your comment, um, I wanted to say something in your comment, but I forgot. Say that, Say your comment again, well, in brief.
5: Sworno says that it was, it was a barring that later converts to spoils of war. Right. It's
1: such a wonderful and frustrating Jewish argument, right? and And again, it's very hard to to just to separate from what we're witnessing over there right now. Right. It's, it is possible to reason out a legal justification and a legal argument that's, that can also fail like a moral or reasonable test. Right. If, if, if you you really want to hear my thoughts on Sheikh Jarrah another time, I'll I'll share them with you. But I do feel like there's an, there's an intersection there an unpleasant intersection between the law and ethics. Uh, You know, the the, uh, the the Israeli Supreme Court which most right-wing Israelis consider to be nearly anti-Zionist and how left they left they are if they if they end up supporting this particular uh, legal decision there's got to be legal precedent upon which they're basing it this is not you know a settler supreme court who's, ev- who's evicting the palestinian uh, homeowners but that doesn't mean that it's like the right moral thing for for the for a country to be doing so i so i love and i'm frustrated by sfornov comment i'm so glad that you brought it to us like like no it really was a borrowing and it's but when they when they when they violated the covenant of sending us out it triggered us from from a from a fleeing to a to a fighting group and in war all bets are off and a war you're allowed to like like it's a it's a pill um uh way of trying to defend that in this moment it wasn't a stripping it was a borrowing and i want to say this sforno mm, right like i love i love it it's exactly way we think these through these things and that sharpening of fine points is the way the talmud operates and it's the way the law operates and sometimes it doesn't always smell pass the smell test but thank you for uh alerting us to that it's a, it's a very interesting sforno. Stevie, we are destined not to read Rashi today. Go ahead, Stevie.
2: Um, so I'd have to look at the rest of Sforno's comments to um, to see if this holds up. But it seems, just hearing that comment, that his motivation is that perhaps the, the people uh, buy into this three-day journey in the wilderness thing, even if God and Moses might have other plans. So if you think you're going for three days,
1: you're borrowing. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the the last line of Sforno is also very very evocative. Um uh Kol Shalal Harodfim that this principle that all of the booty of the um of the chasers <inaudible> go to the ones being chased, um kiminhag <inaudible> bhol like is the law of every war, right? That that if the if the ones chased win the the war, they get to determine who gets what, including boundaries, right? Like the the entire 1967 operation and what we're still dealing with today is is in some ways focused on that line of Sforno, right? The winner to the winners go the spoils, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to figure out what to what to what to do in the in the aftermath of that. Okay, let's start the Rashi, which means that really next week is going to be all Rashi. So Rashi actually has two comments on this verse. We're still at Joel. Um, the first one is. Focusing on the, I think the, the he spends six line six words on the more interesting part of the verse and then forty lines on grammar. Uh, Joel umigarat beta
2: Okay, the, uh, the printing is very small, so you have to forgive me. Umigarat beita meotashihi gara itababait. So from uh, the one who lives in her house means from. She who lives in her house. Right. <laughs> I don't know what's,
1: what he's So Raj is always trying to um disabuse us of a notion when he gives us this. So so you know, it's it's sort of a, a response to a quiet lest you think that. So what's the what's the, the possible lest you think that? I'm not sure. Can someone um come up with um Well it could uh, be Joanna's
2: Joanna's suggestion that it's not her house; it's her neighbor's house.
1: Uh huh. So possible. So so maybe Rush saying, unless unless you think that the that the one is, who's referred to in this phrase is um, is the one who lives in the neighbor's house, or I think uh, even I've got to say it for maybe Toba that this was maybe um, the the home in which the Israelite was serving as a maid. Rashi seems to reinforce. The one from the one who lives with her, her being the subject of the verse, the woman who's doing the despoiling in the house. So Rashi wants us to have the image that um, the stuff is being taken from Egyptians, whether they live as neighbors or somehow sharing an abode. Right. I'd love to know where Rashi's getting that from.